Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Well, welcome to Step Into the Story. Each time we get together, we explore the intersection of God's story and our story. Sometimes we look at a milestone event in a person's life and um, we build a whole conversation around that. Other times it's more the arc of an entire life. And today, my conversation with Steve Graves is going to be the latter of those. Um, Steve, welcome to Step Into the Story. Hey, Phil, thanks so much for letting me join you guys today. Honored to be here. Um, Steve, I love your bio. I was just um, telling a couple of folks before we got on the phone with you today that it is the single best summary of this is who I am and what I do that's not like you're fighting to get a job. It's not formal. It's not clumsy. Um, it's not It's not dripping with pride. It's just like, hey, this is this is who I am and this is how God has led me to invest my life. So props for the bio on your on your website. <laughs> but it, it, it explains, it says that you've been advising CEOs, business owners, and entrepreneurs for decades. At any given time, Steve is working with a handful of remarkable executives leading large global companies, young hungry entrepreneurs just starting out, and maybe a global not-for-profit. He's authored 18 books, worked with thousands of leaders, weaving themes of strategy, leadership, and faith, hoping to help people flourish in their life and work. And then, just in case you think the guy's always working, it says, when Steve is not filling up a whiteboard with a client friend, you might find him backcasting in the cold, clear rivers of Northwest Arkansas. We really should be having this conversation on site. I think that would be that would be more fun. It would be. It would be. I, I spend me a lot of time standing in a river. <laughs> so, so Steve, you and I have never met face to face that we know of. But um, in the in the pre call, getting ready for this conversation, I just I feel cheated that I have not gotten to know you way earlier in my career, and um, looking forward to continuing the relationship that we're just starting this week. But one of the things that intrigues me. There's also a longer version of your bio. It's it's at stephenrgraves.com. But um, there's a longer version of it where you really tell your story because that, that nice crisp summary may be accurate, but it doesn't really tell the story. It doesn't really open up your life. And I, I love the statement in your longer bio that says, late in my high school years, I determined to pursue some mixture of business and theology for my life calling. Um, we need to explore that one, especially the <laughs> fact that you were still in high school. And now, I don't know, what, have you been out of high school 10 or 12 years, something like that? Give, <laughs> Just a couple. couple Just a couple, years. yeah. <laughs> Actually, several decades. But, you know, we read all the time how many times in a life a person switches not just jobs but careers and you know while you've certainly served in different niches uh, above a job above a career is something called a vocation which literally is from the latin word that means calling i'm intrigued how did god put this call on your life um still as a teenager in high school yeah 
Wow, Phil. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I should probably have a lot more precision in hindsight than maybe I do. You know, my life has been such, it's been one of those lives that, um, uh, you know, you've heard the, you've heard, you've, you've heard the image for years where somebody talks about sailing under sealed orders where you go, you know, you go to a mile marker and then you get more information, then you go to the next mile marker and you get more information and you really are not sailing a life with it. You're not sailing it with this complete um, map. You're kind of doing one, one stretch at a time. And then as you do that stretch, the next stretch unfolds for you. And that's really more my life. You know, I knew early on that, you know, I, I kind of had a pretty significant, um, conversion experience where I had to decide whether I was going to, I kind of had to decide who had the right to rule in my life. Who was it going to be? And I kind of came to the decision that I was going to uh, choose God to have the right to rule my life. And then as that unfolded, you know, I began to kind of let the cascading things that surround that, you know, all the ecosystem orbital things that touch what it means to be, you know, a follower of Jesus. And, and so, you know, as I began to think about my career, I remember early, like my late high school years and my early college years, I was just really, really taken by the, the by what the scriptures had to say and how the scriptures really could guide and steer my life at, at you know, and kind of all the root systems and all the key intersections and, you know, everything, whether I was thinking about friends or money or grief or just confusion or whatever. And, you know, I just, I remember, like, I can remember really the first time I read the prayer of Jehoshaphat where, you know, he was kind of a little bit cloudy and not sure what he should do. And I just remember, wow, it's crazy that somebody else like here in the Bible has that feeling. And so I remember early on being really taken back and, and, and really, uh, beginning to develop a, a strong conviction for the role of the scriptures in my life. Now, what I didn't do is automatically roll that over into a, a job or a career or a role or a title or an address of a church or whatever. I, just, I wasn't really sure, you know, and it wasn't because I was running from something or because I had some, some, you know, some kind of deep contrarianism in me that I didn't want to be a certain thing. I just wasn't really sure what to apply that. And so what I did is I stayed with the studies of that as my primary area. And I supported it with, you know, some English and psychology and all that. But some kind of formal study of theology and philosophy and the scriptures and all that kind of became my informal and my formal way of trying to anchor my life. And, you know, and then I, and then I began to try to make smart, discerning vocational decisions, um, uh, you know, around that as it happened. But you know, I really, I really felt like early on that God called me to kind of the, the, the Monday to Friday side of life, not just the, the Saturday, Sunday side of life, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. You know, when I was, um, after we talked last time in prep for this conversation, the picture that came to me, I, I said, I said, Steve, you're bilingual. I mean this this commitment to function well in a in a Christian context with the Bible and theology, but also you know to have the chops to cut it at the highest levels of the business world. And um, again, your self description says my goal was to become intellectually ambidextrous, 
In my left <laughs> hand was some form of theological book. My right hand was a Harvard Business Review or something like that. Um, I love that, whether it's bilingual or whether it's ambidextrous. Y you know, you took a strange course. I mean, it required education at, at several different places to put it together. How much pressure was on you um, from family or, or even mentors, advisors going, Steve, dude, pick a lane. Which is it going to be? You can't, you can't straddle those two things. Did you get yeah. a lot of encouragement in this, or or were people trying to force you to go one way or the other? You know, I probably a little bit of both, Phil. I, I certainly had uh, some people who, um, and I think they were just coming out of a good heart. I don't think anybody was 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 trying to overreach, you know, with any with any disingenuous concern, but. But, but, you know, I had some people who really just needed me to, to settle down and, and you know, and, and work in a church. Or I had some people who really needed me to finish up and go teach in a seminary or something. And, and I, you know, I kept trying to explain to friends, it, it wasn't that I, that I don't enjoy working in a church or I didn't work, enjoy teaching. Because, you know, like I've been on my teaching, I've been on the teaching team at the church I go to, Fellowship Bible Church for, you know, 20 years. I mean, longer actually. And, and I love it. I love to teach, but you know, I, I have a real, real passion for the CEO, the business owner or the entrepreneur who's trying to figure out how do they allow the, 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 the power and the scope and the reach and the intent of the gospel. How do they, how do they pull that in and allow that to shape and inform and transform the way they do life on Monday and Tuesday at 10 and all the, the myriad of things that impact, you know, the business community. And, uh, you know, and that just, and so I had a, I had a little bit of folks, I had a few folks who, who kind of tried to steer me uh, a little harder, but as a general rule, you know, I've, I've had a tremendous amount of support from uh, mentors, from friends, from, support systems, family, all of that. And I think a lot of it is just because, you know, I think early on, I think people who know me best, they, you know, they know me as an entrepreneur or, or a portfolio or a composite leader at my core, you know, and, and I, I really am like, I really want to be somebody who, you know, is capable in, um, you know, and not just, the, not just the scripture, but also in business. And I think, you know, I think, and I didn't tell you about this the other day, but I think one of the shaping things for me was years and years ago, one of my early business partners and I had been invited to Chicago to, uh, to spend the day with Kim Blanchard, who was finishing up a book. Yeah. And in classic, in classic Kim Blanchard fashion, what he ha usually has done in years and years past and still does is he'll convene a group of people together to get in a room. And he kind of, it's, it's, I mean, it's like 20 or 30 people. And everybody helps think about and bring great precision and, you know, and, 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 and uh, nice edges to some of his thinking. And then he comes out of there and he goes and writes a book. And so I don't even remember what the book he was writing on, but I just remember in the room was, it was all the big megachurch pastors. I mean, it was the who's who of megachurch pastors at that time. This is years, years ago. And it was also kind of a who's who of Christian CEOs that were around the country. And he had brought them in and, typical Ken Blanchard fashion. And so he began to work through a bunch of topics. And that particular day, anytime there was a moral, a spiritual, a soft 
thing of life that they were trying to tackle, all the business guys kind of leaned back in their chairs and all the pastors stepped into the microphone and they spoke into the truth about, you know, what, what God had to say about anything. Mm. Well, when wow. the conversation, when the conversation kind of, kind of, you know, like a, like a tide, when the tide went out, and it came back in and the conversation began to think about stuff, whether it was strategic planning or hiring people or firing people or supply chain or reading a P&L or whatever it was. All of a sudden, the pastor started leaning back. I mean, visibly, visibly, they would lean back and, all, and they would just kind of defer and look over to all the business guys. And the business guys would speak in and they would kind of say the best practices and this is what we've learned or whatever. And it was just, it was just kind of this dance between an expert on one side of the table and an expert on the other side. And I just remember saying, mm. man, sure, surely, and I know this is true because I knew a lot of people in the room. I know those pastors had more to say than just, you know, quoting a Bible verse. And I also know that many of the CEOs had way more to say than just quoting a Harvard Business Review quote. They had biblical, you know, I mean, they had a lot to say. You know, Bill Pollard, for goodness sake, or Don Soderquist, those guys had tons to say hmm. about about what the Bible had to say. So ever since then, excuse me for being long-winded, but ever since then, I remember I just galvanized this notion that if possible, I really wanted to be somebody who had, had capability. I, I don't know that I would ever call myself an expert, but I wanted to be capable in, in having a foot grounded in the business community, the commercial markets, and then a, a foot grounded in the, you know, the nonprofit and the ministry environments. Mm. Yeah. You know, Walk Through the Bible, I think, has ministry in about 130 countries right now. And a big part of what we do is coming alongside under-resourced pastors who haven't had the opportunity to have formal Bible training. And, you know, many, many, many of those men and women are bivocational. And, you know, that in our country, at least, that's kind of what you do when you're planting a church until the church takes off and you look forward to the day that you no longer have to have that other job. And, you know, you, you think of Paul as, as being a tent maker or Jesus growing up in his earthly father's carpentry shop. And, you know, rabbis were required to have um, a, an extra career. You know, and and I wonder. I mean, certainly there's some real pluses to being able to just focus and do one thing, but when it comes to connecting with people, um, I think that that bivocational approach there's still something beautiful to it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You know, I mean, one a verse that really has shaped my life since since early college is Psalm seventy eight seventy two or 70 verses 70 through 72. And it's that passage where David is talking about being taken and, and, and moved and, and uh, transferred. It's like you get to transfer, you know, transfer of a job. And he's, he's moved from being a shepherd of sheep to becoming a shepherd of people. Mm. And there's been lots written about it, but, but that's a, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a ton of differences. I mean, you know, just go take your basic farmer and go stick them in a Fortune 1000 company and see how that works. I mean, that's there's a lot of stuff that happens. Well, when you move down to that last verse, he basically says, at the end of the day, he said, I wanted to learn how to lead uh, from a pure heart and with skillful hands. And so that was kind of a, early on, I began to think about, 
you know, it, you know, you gotta, it's kind of, you gotta be a shepherd leader and an enterprise leader. You, you have to have skills, but you, but you know, and you, you need to have character and you need to have, you know, competence and all that, but you must have skills and, and excellence and things like that. And I, and I, I really believe, I firmly believe because I've worked in the business community now, I'm, I'm not a young man. I'm, I'm, I'm quite old, and, uh, <laughs> but I, I will say this: I have, I firmly believe that um, that if if men and women of faith would somehow find the edge, the gospel edge, in their Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, just in their in their vocational work settings, if they could figure out what it looks like to translate the gospel, you know. Excuse me, the gospel intent. Excuse me, the gospel intent and the gospel power, and um, and just the the utility of the gospel as it relates to doing life and work on any given Tuesday, on any given Thursday, whatever. If, if that would happen, I, I just think there would be an, a, a remarkable amount of spiritual uh, lifting that would happen in any community. And I'm, when I say that, I'm not pushing down at all the role of the church. I, I firmly believe in the role of the church, but I also firmly believe in the role of work. Um, you know, one of the, the very first book that my, Tom Addington, my original business partner, and I wrote was called The Fourth Frontier. We talked about the fact that God has ordained four institutions for us to kind of, to, to live out the rhythm and cadence of life. You know, government, family, a church, and work. You know, and whenever you think of family, you got to think of work because they were both, you know, in the same spot in Genesis. And and so there's this incredible blue horizon opportunity for people to figure out how to utilize the gospel inside a work setting. Mm. Yeah. You know, 500 years or so ago, the Reformation, you know, we talk about Martin Luther and the 95 Theses and, the, you know, the idea of giving Scripture— back to the common ordinary person. And, you know, that's led to having scripture available in the heart language. That's our goal with every people group in the world. And, you know, that half of the Reformation, we've actually done pretty well with. But the other half, which was to return the ministry to everybody, not just to the clergy. They're not first class and everybody else are kind of, well, they're, you know, they're going to heaven someday, but they're kind of wasting their life now. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth if you if we look at things from a biblical point of view. But I I wanted to ask you, I mean, your client list um, is is amazing. I mean, God really has given you strategic access and influence to some of the greatest companies. And I know your focus is is really on the leaders, the the CEO, the business owner, the president of the company. Um, what's what's the difference between truly great leaders and good leaders? We can all tell you the difference between a good leader and a lousy leader. That's that's simple. But between yeah. a good leader and a great leader, um, a Stephen Covey, you know, level five type leader. What what do you see as the main differences? Well, yeah, it was really funny because I had a breakfast with a buddy of mine who runs a, a, a large family foundation this morning. And we were talking about the role that a leader plays in any given enterprise. And, um, you know, I, so 
a couple of couple of angles or a couple of directions to take on this one, Phil. You know, sometimes. So first of all, I don't know that we really ever know the greatness of a leader till till sometimes after the fact. Right now, I am not. I am not at all willing to say that we never know the greatness of a leader till you know after they're gone and all of that. I think. I think there's some occasions, but you know, you you can spot a turnaround leader. You know, you can spot someone who's tasked with a turnaround. You better be able to see that pretty quickly because that's their job. And I remember I was on a panel in Silicon Valley a few years ago, and I'd gotten there late. My flight had gotten there late, and I came running into the deal, and, and they'd already started, but they said, come on anyway. And I remember the question on the table was, what makes the perfect leader? You know, who, who is the perfect leader? And all the panelists had kind of rolled through their, you know, their, their kind of their formulas of what makes the best leader and the best leader and everything. And I said, well, I said, to be really honest, I said, I think the best leader is the best, the, 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 the greatest leader is, is the person, the man or woman who has the correct life experience and skill set that can lead into what's needed for that enterprise for the next season of that enterprise is, is life, you know. Now, what you've got to get down to is who they are as a person, you know, and I, I don't necessarily think that, that, that leadership is a personality trait, an Enneagram number. It, I don't think it's an age. I can show you incredible leaders who are really younger than maybe what people think, you know, successful leaders ought to be. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have any gray hair, but man, they're, they're crushing it as leaders. Um, and so I think for me, for me, you know, leader, leaders usually have to have, you know, a combination of a great self-awareness there needs to be, I'm, I usually look for somebody who has, you know, uh, a certain amount of self-awareness and humility. Um, I usually look for somebody who has the right fitting, the right, uh, the right experiences and education and, and life experience and qualities. That's, that's exactly what that organization needs for this season of life. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's a, and that's the reason, Phil, that's the reason we see somebody who's an incredible leader at, at, at business or enterprise or nonprofit one. And then all of a sudden they go to nonprofit two or enterprise two or business two, and they're not as effective. And a lot of times it's because what, what they, what they needed back at, in, at you know, at, at business one was perfect. At the second one, that's not what that company needs. They need somebody that's a lot faster or somebody that's more thoughtful or somebody that can drive outcomes quicker or whatever. And, mm-hmm. But but I'm, I'm I'm rambling. But I will say this: whenever I try to qualify a leader, I will try to make sure that I extend the scope of of scoring beyond just today. Number one, then number two, I will make sure I give them what I call a composite score. Anybody can get an A if they're only doing one thing. If if, if all you're doing is taking one class, if all you have to do is you know if you're if you're you know, I mean, like, great, get married and have one child. I'm not saying that you can't do well, but start adding children to that or start adding, you know, having to take care of your mom or your mother-in-law. I mean, just it's the composite score of life that really, really qualifies who's more capable and not, in, in my opinion. And so I will look at people all the time and say, listen, you know what? Go after the composite score. Try to score well there. And you know what? You're not going to be an A-plus in everything. It's impossible. Right. That's, I mean, somebody's going to be, somebody's going to exercise way more than you do. 
Somebody's going to study their Bible way more than you do. Somebody's going to be more a, a bigger, a better philanthropist, or somebody that's in, in helping the community better with social causes than you. Somebody will will spend more time with their children than you. And so, my deal is, you, you can't you can't try to build your life against incorrect scorecards, but build a composite score of life, and and really hook your you know hook your wagon to that. And make sure leadership is about a composite score, not just a one-dimensional score. Mm, that's great. It's really good. I got to think about that some more. I'm going to be listening to this <laughs> podcast myself and scribbling down some notes. Definitely. You know, um, you've accomplished a lot of things. I mean, you and your and your friend Tom starting Cornerstone and that that ran and had a huge impact and the magazine you started life at work was way ahead of the curve you know in in saying not only is business the fourth frontier but this is just from hours in the day the opportunity to have an impact there rather than just when we gather in our church buildings but um you know lots of success 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 but there was a in your description of yourself there was a little paragraph that said, but we also experienced a death of a dream, more than one financial drought, a few colossal failures, the testing of some friendships, and a bucket of miscellaneous disappointments, knee scrapes, and cloudy days. And when I read that, I kind of went, okay, now, I not only do I like this guy a whole lot more, I think I'll spend a little less time coveting his life going, he's got my dream job. Why does he have it? Why don't I have it? You know, um, I mean, several people have said you meet God on the way up, but you get to know him on the way down. Um, what was the impact? And and especially in terms of your your depth as a as a Christ follower, your your depth in in scripture, uh, pick pick one or two of those challenging times that you went through. And, and just open up your life about how God used that in your life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Phil. I mean, and, and, and all that is real. All that's really honest. I, I tell people all the time, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, I, I love what I do, but I mean, I am anything but the, but the poster child of just about anything. I mean, I, I'm the poster child of what God can do with somebody who just kind of stays at it a little bit. And just when you fall off, you get back on your roll again. And, you know, I could, I could, I could tell you about. You know, I mean, I grew up without a dad, and so I learned how to lean on scripture early on. There, you know, probably, I mean, the, probably the most recent in the last, you know, decade or two is we we built a really successful magazine, but nine eleven hit and just, I mean, just blew a hole in the middle of that thing, and we found ourselves upside down. And I mean, we had we had more momentum than I could ever have imagined, um, and. You know, I spent I spent an entire year studying the book of Job, um, and nobody I didn't tell anybody this when I was doing it. I didn't, you know, because I spent an entire year spending uh, working my way back through the book of Job again, trying to trying to make sure that I learned what I needed to learn personally. You know, that I that I owned any mistakes of leadership of strategy of timing, of impulsiveness, of presumption, whatever, you know. I just want to make sure I owned everything I could own. But then at the end of all of that, you know, I basically just kind of pushed it all over the other side of the table and said, you know, God, this is all yours. And and we're just going to have to kind of, I'm, I'm riding on you on this one. And, 
Um, and so, you know, the book of Proverbs, excuse me, the book, the, the book of Job was incredibly helpful uh, to me and, and still is, you know, and, you know, and I've, and then, you know, like another one is I've, I've really learned through the years um, how to practice a relaxed view of God's sovereignty, you know, not a, not a hyper view, but a relaxed view where, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't still try to, I mean, I, if I, if you put, if you give me an assignment and I take it, dude, I'm going to get it done. I am not, I am not a lazy dude. I will get it done. I'll work all night, but you know, sometimes you work all night and you still don't get it done or you work all night and it doesn't turn out right, you know, or whatever. And so at the end of the day, you know, I really had to learn through the years that, that, that my success really, really, really isn't up to me to engineer that I am, I am not, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the two verses I always use when I, when I debate and have a good time with my friends on planning around the country is, you know, you've got that, you got that verse because I have some friends that say, man, I don't believe in planning. Just, you know, the book of James says you, you can make all those plans. You can say, I'm going to so sit, search a certain city and that'll make a certain amount of profit. I'm going to spend a year to do it. And, and you, you, what you ought to be saying is if the, if the Lord really wills it or not. And I say, man, I couldn't agree more. And then I'll take him back to, to Luke and I'll say, well, what about that passage? It says, you know, if a man, if, if you don't count the cost of the tower, before right. you build your tower, then your people, the, the friends are going to drive by your tower. They're going to laugh and scoff at you and your God, right. I think is the inference. They're going to laugh and scoff because you didn't have enough foresight and discipline to really think down track. You didn't really think about the operating cost. All you thought of it was the, was the kickoff money or whatever. And so, you know, I've, I've tried to learn, I've tried to learn, had to learn that when things don't go like I plan them, because I'm a planner, I, mean, I get paid to plan and uh, and so when they don't go like that, what do you do? And, and I've, I've tried to learn, and I I don't I'm not the guy every single time that is able to get there quickly, but usually over time I can get to a relaxed view of God's sovereignty about the outcomes of life because the outcomes of life are not my sole responsibility. Exactly, exactly. There again, that's the balance that. We started talking about it's a different issue, but it's still it's still an issue of balance that, uh, you know, the trusting in God's sovereignty that ultimately he is control, not us. That doesn't lead us to passivity. You know, it it frees us to without fear, do the planning and work our tails off. Um, yep. But but it, it doesn't lead us to passivity. So. I, I've never heard the term a relaxed view of God's sovereignty. That's that's pretty cool. I got to chew on that one too. <laughs> so so you and Karen, she's put up with you for all of these years. Three uh, adult <laughs> children now who are who are off on their own. Um, the next the next phase of your life, um, you know, because it's it's pretty easy to look at the the different phases that have unfolded, but. Um, Assuming that your goal is not just to kind of slide off into the horizon and and live off your laurels of the past few decades, what's the dream now for the future that God's putting on your heart? It, it may be more of the same. It may be a sharpened view of it. But um, what can I be praying for you about as you look forward to the to the next season, Steve? Yeah, yeah. Hey, thanks for asking, Phil. I really appreciate the, the genuine uh, ask on your side. 
you know, I, I want to, uh, I want to, obviously there are some things I still want to accomplish in life, but I really, and this will sound a little, a little pedantic, but I really mean it. Um, I really, really want to remain faithful and, and I want to be a guy who just kind of, you know, I'm able to ride the, the, the I'm able to ride my faith to the final end, you know, and I, I was reading this last week of Tim Keller's article in the Atlantic and, and, you know, he's, uh, he has cancer now and he was, and he has a great article and, and, and basically in the article, he's making the case of, is he going to actually read his own stuff? Is he going to actually right. just written a book on death? Is he going to just wrote a book on death? No, is he going to really, is he going to really still believe the very sermons he preached and the very messaging he gave people when he was on the other side of the bed, you know, and holding their hand and helping them. And I, you know, I just want to, I want to try to kind of continue to live out and, and prove up and perfect and, um, uh, and enjoy, you know, the, the very, you know, the life and the gospel that I've, I've tried to embrace my whole life. Um, and then I also, you know, I've shifted about three, four years ago, I shifted where, you know, I, I actually also kind of co-own a few companies through the years I've picked up, backed into a few and so, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to really make sure that I'm able to bring more redemptive edge to um, all of the, all the effort of my work. Um, and that doesn't mean that I, you know, I don't, I don't always leave with my faith when I work with a CEO. I mean, and I, and I don't only work with, with, you know, believers. I work with a number of, uh, you know, non-Christians, but I don't work with any God haters, never have. They, you know, we just would have a hard time ever finding our, our alignment and footing but, um, you know, I, I've worked with a number of um, wild folks, you know, just crazy people. But, but I, I want to bring more redemptive edge to my work um, and, uh, and allow that to, to really have a great impact. And then, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, I was actually thinking, um, I was writing down some prayers because my, my model that I'm doing right now is I try to write down kind of a, a monthly prayer guide that guides me for that month. And I, I'm not the guy that I'm not the, the guest speaker to tell people how prayer is. I mean, I'm just a guy trying to, you know, continue to figure out how to pray every, every day and every week. month. But I do have a guide. And so I was writing it out and, and I was writing out, you know, I want to, I'd love to be able to think that, that every year of my life while I was alive, I, 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 I really, I was able to bring a life altering, changing um, direction of at least one person's life. Mm. You know, and I know, I know we all, I know we all impact all kinds of people all the time, and that's really God's. You know, it's God's the one that really kind of scores our impact, not us. But I'd like to know that you know that I could kind of, if I could just jot down a list of people, say, you know, I really, I really think I, I, I had a great impact on this person and this person and this person. So. I'm thinking about that a little bit. I'm thinking about the next, the fourth quarter, as one of my buddies calls it, the fourth quarter, trying to trying to get a, a, a renewed vision for that one. Um, I love content, still love writing, still doing stuff like that. So I'm hoping to really bring a lot more content into play over the next the next fourth quarter. Hmm. Uh, that's that's fantastic. You know, um, you're sending me a care package of some of your resources. I cannot wait to read. Um, the five tasks. I don't know if that's your newest book or, um, but that to me is, you know, looking at the five things that every leader 
must do, set the direction, determine the speed, uh, determine the level of risk, um, marshal the necessary resources and and craft the culture or influence the culture at least. And, you know, it just strikes me that's true whether you're coaching the CEO of Walmart or you're part of a, a startup in Silicon Valley or, or you're with a nonprofit. It's still those five things. And um, I would just invite our listeners to, to join me in, in working through that book. Um, I'm very much looking forward to that and how God's going to use that in my own life. But um, Steve, I, I think this is a whole lot more than just a conversation. I really believe this is a start of a friendship. And um, I look forward to gleaning lots of things that will help me, not just as, as the president of Walk Through the Bible, but as a husband and a dad and and now a grandfather and, you know, starting to, I mean, I'm, I'm getting close to that fourth quarter thing too. And, you know, really looking at what matters most, not what can yeah. I do, but what must I do? And uh, I, I'd love yeah. to kind of run in, in parallel with that. So I, I resonate with those prayer requests that you brought. Great, my friend. And I would, I would uh, echo back to you. Love to, love to continue the friendship. You know, uh, I, I think it was to your last quote. I remember, I think it was Peter Drucker who said, there's nothing uh, uh, more useless than doing efficiently the things you should not be doing at all. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Well, Father, thank you for Steve. Thank you for this conversation, for the way um, beginning at an early age, um, growing up with a with a single mom, and yet you provided mentors, guys who came around him at every stage of his life. Thank you for those investments with him, in him, and thank you that he's continued that, whether it's in a church setting, not-for-profit, or or the biggest companies on earth, Lord. Thank you that he's the same guy. And I do pray that he would finish well, that he would um, have the respect of kids and grandkids who would, who would say, you think you know him because you heard him speak on that huge stage. L- let me tell you what he's really like because he's the real deal. And Father, thank you for this conversation. I pray that, that we will... Um, we will get to know each other better and learn from each other and encourage each other to run hard across the finish line. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Steve, thank you. The best way to get in touch with you is is probably through your website, Stephen yep. with a P-H, yep. um, spelled like my brother, rgraves.com. What's the R stand for? Ray. Okay. Stephen Ray Graves. Because my brother was Stephen R. Tuttles. His was Roger, um, but I, I was wondering that. So stephenrgraves.com. We'll put that link in the show notes. And um, I, I just would encourage everybody. This is why we gather and step into the story to, to explore how God's story intersects with our story. And sometimes that's a, a willing person from an early age. Sometimes it's a lifelong struggle where God eventually wins out. But Lord, thank you for what we've been able to celebrate your continued work in Steve's life. And I pray that it will encourage us that you want the same deep, real relationship with us centered by getting to know you better through your word, talking to you through prayer. We'll see you next time on Step Into the Story. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast powered by Walk Through the Bible. 
We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.